Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Amen. Let's stay standing as we read God's Word together from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Uh, If you don't have a Bible... There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and um, today's text is on page 810, 810, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how should saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Father, we um, pray that you would bless um, the, the reading um, and the study this morning of your word. Uh, may you help us to understand. Uh, may you help us to seek understanding in it. Uh, may you help us to seek um, the, your will um, that is revealed to us through your word. Um, it's, it's not um, unclear. Um, it is not something that we have to um, to hope for, but it's something that we can have confidence in, um, that your word speaks, um, and it speaks powerfully. Um, it, is, it is always relevant. It will forever be relevant um, and will always be the most relevant thing that we may seek understanding in. Um, and so help us this morning um, to, to believe that and to submit ourselves to it. Um, Lord, we know this morning that there are many here who are weak and weary um, tired, um, who are burdened by many heavy things. Um, may we experience and sense in your word this morning um, that your teachings um, are not burdensome. Um, your word is not burdensome to us, um, but as, as you say yourself, that um, it is light um, and, the, and that we um, have hope um, and, and confidence in it. Um, and so we pray that you would you would uh, meet us powerfully through your word here um, this morning. And um, we give ourselves to you um, and our time as well. In your name, amen. All right, well, maybe you may be seated. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's uh, study God's word together this morning. I hope you're doing well. Uh, we're, we're working our way through Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. And here's what I think is really important for us to see this morning uh, and for us to see throughout all the pages of Scripture as we read and as we study is that God is all about um, forming for himself a people. Um, God is about um, forming for himself a people. Uh, we've said before, um, God has not given his church a mission so much as he has given his mission a church. Um, and so he has a mission in the world that he has set out to accomplish. Um, and to that mission, he is always chosen a people to fulfill that fundamental mission. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about that mission this morning because, the, because it's, it's referred to in the text um, this morning as well, um, in the last verse, verse 16. You'll see that 
that God would receive glory among the nations. Um, and so God has given to his mission a church. And so church, um, our mission is the mission of God. And so God is all about forming for himself a people um, to carry this mission out and to fulfill this mission. And it's not ever because we see this every time he refers to a people that he's calling out. Um, it's never, ever, ever, not in the beginning and not today and not ever, it's never because the people that he chooses are good or worthy or stronger or many or more in number, as he would say, but it's always because he is gracious um, and he is wise and he is powerful. Amen? Do we believe that? Amen? It's because he is gracious and he is wise and he is powerful. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, the scriptures would say um, that it is in our weakness where God's strength is perfected, uh, where his strength is seen and proven and displayed is in our weakness. And so those of you who feel like you got to gussy yourself up or, or come across stronger than you are, hey, allow your weakness to be seen. Um, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean to, to, to relish in your, in your or to... to, to to, to celebrate all of your weakness all of the time, but your weakness is a beautiful opportunity for the glory of God and the power of God to be displayed. Um, and so we, we know that. And so this, these things, this concept that God is about forming for himself a people um, is an important thing to know. It's an important thing to keep in mind as we work our way through what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew's gospel. And so I don't ever want to be um, the guy um, that guy um, that, that attempts to um, categorize what Jesus says into important and to less important. Everything that Jesus says is important. Everything that Jesus says is sufficient. It has meaning. It has um, intent. Um, and so Jesus is the one who summarizes what the, the greatest commandment is. He does that later in the book of Matthew, to love God and to love your neighbor. And so if you want to sum it all up, that's what he says is how we sum it up. But what I will say is that I believe what Jesus is teaching here in this text um, speaks to one of the most prevalent um, and impressing things that many of us in here are, are eager and wondering to know. And it's essentially this, what hope do we have in this world? How are we to operate as aliens in a distant land, not like real aliens, but the Bible will refer several times um, to our place as strangers and aliens in this earth, that we belong to another world. Um, and so, earthlings, how are we to operate as aliens in this distant land? And so we're all wondering this. If you're not asking this question, you should be. Let me put the question in your mind. How are we to respond um, to the way that the world is today? Um, and so things seem uncertain and unsettled, right? Anybody else? Seem things unsettled and uncertain. We should all at some level be very concerned with how we are to respond and how we are to function in a world like the one that we are in. And, and church family, let me tell you this. We have great confidence and great hope in God's word because Jesus speaks with great clarity and boldness on this, on this topic today. We're wondering what in the world, how in the world do we react? How in the world do we respond? And Jesus being the best ever um, speaks, to, to put it lightly, by the way, um, to, speaks with clarity and boldness for us. And so while we often find ourselves in a frenzy and while we often find ourselves all wound up 
about this world, Jesus is the sure and steady voice speaking to us through his word. I mean, we just need to, to really just take a deep, collective deep breath that while we're in a frenzy and we're wound up, Jesus is a sure and steady voice that speaks to us through his word. In fact, I think it's right for us to even stop now and thank him for that. Can we do that? Can we, can we do that? And then I'm gonna actually read a passage of scripture that has nothing to do with today that will, that will help us understand who Jesus is. Father, we thank you um, that you've sent your son, Jesus. Um, Jesus, who, who stepped from um, his throne. Jesus, who stepped away from glory um, and, and, and majesty um, to stoop down and to, to, to dwell among a, a hurting, sinful world. Um, and as he did that, he loved, he served, um, and he ultimately gave his life. And so, so Father, we thank you that um, your word has, has been preserved and it comes to us even today. Um, and so would you give us just a level of peace? We need it. We need, we need peace today. Um, and so, so may we not look for that anywhere um, beyond um, the, not only just the idea of Jesus and not only the words of Jesus, which are sufficient, but in the person of Jesus. May we look to Jesus um, for our peace um, and our hope today. Um, thank you for your word. Again, we thank you that it's clear. Um, and we thank you that, that while, we're, while we're in a frenzy, um, that there is a, a more sure, steady voice um, that speaks. We praise things in your name. Amen. I love Psalm chapter 112, verse 7. It says this, and so let this be a challenge to us. Haven't done a deep dive. This is not our text today, but it just always sticks out to me. Psalm 112, 7 says, for the righteous will never be moved. So kind of in light of us in a frenzy, <laughs> the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. And then listen to this. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. And so I think that's just a, something that I, I, I felt led to share with you this morning. And so let's, let's move along. I believe that Jesus goes to great lengths this morning in this text, verses 13 through 16, to speak to us with clarity on the way that we ought to view our place in the world as followers of Jesus. And so he gives us a metaphor here of salt and light. Um, things that we will discuss more in depth in just a minute, but I wanna spend most of our time and our energy this morning um, on this, and it's going to make you panic a little bit. It's the first two words, and you're like, seriously? We're gonna spend most of our time on two words? How do you plan on getting through four verses, 13, 14, 15, and 16? How do you plan on getting through all of those? But there's a reason why I wanna spend the majority of our time because I believe it's, it, it's literally foundational. Um, you are. I believe is literally foundational to understanding what Jesus is saying here. And so we're gonna spend most of our time on, on those two words. And I think they are the most consequential and necessary for us to understand. And so if we're gonna team the depths of what Jesus is saying in these verses, um, we cannot miss those two opening words, you are. Um, if you were with us a few years ago, I think it's been about two and a half years, uh, we... Uh, did a teaching series called Y'all. Remember that? Remember Y'all? I mean, I, I, I meet people. When, when I met Jim and Micah, 
Um, I don't remember what we were talking about, but Jim and Micah were not here when we taught that series. But one of the very first conversations that Jim had with me, I have no idea how he knew, is like, didn't you guys do something one time called y'all? Like, isn't that, it just, it sticks out to people and remember it. I hope that we can remember the point of the teaching series. And if you don't, we're gonna remember it this, this morning. This is what Jesus is saying here. And, and, and one of the mistakes that we often make when reading and understanding the scriptures is that, is, is one of the, we talk a lot about cultural lens, right? Uh, Kevin at one time talked about sh- uh, shucking the corn and peeling back the layers of the corn or the onion, whatever, um, and, 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 and talked about how we often bring um, our culture and our experiences into the text. And so we're, we're a little bit disadvantaged here because one of, the, one of the cultural lens that we bring to the text oftentimes is something called individualism. We, we read a verse and we see you and we think, all right, Jesus talking straight to me, baby. Here we go, buckle up. We're, we're gonna, I get to find out what God's will for my life is. And so one of the cultural lens that we often read the scriptures through is something called individualism. And if you didn't know this, that's one of the things that our culture loves to put onto us. Expressive individualism, express yourself, do what's best for you, your truth, all of these things is this individualistic idea. And so some of this cultural lens certainly does have some to do, um, and we can talk about this more at length later if it confuses you, and I apologize if it does. Some of this certainly has to do with some of the way that our modern translations of the Bible are translated. Um, that, That when Jesus would have spoken this in his original language, his hearers would have had no confusion on, is he talking to me or is he talking to him? No, Jesus would have been talking to a group of people. Specifically in this text, I believe he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to a group of people saying, you are, you are the light, you are the salt, you are going to go. And yet what we're gonna see this morning is that because Jesus is sovereign and he's good and he knows all things that it doesn't just disappear when the disciples disappear. It becomes and it is the mission of the church today, what Jesus says here. And so one of the ways that our modern versions of the Bible are often translated is that, is that we fail to see when the text says you, it, it often is not um, you singular, but y'all. <laughs> that, that you all, Jesus is addressing a group of people here and he intends for all of them, all y'all to hear this. He intends for everyone to hear. And so that's the case here. The you in this text is something that in the original language is strongly emphasized. You all, or you people. One guy that that I was reading on this said, you folks, all of you, you people are the salt of the earth, are the light of the world. And so who Jesus intends to communicate this with, who Jesus intends to communicate this teaching to is not isolated, singular, rogue individuals. That you take this message and you, you go do your thing and do it in your own personal time and privacy. Rather, no, what he is, what, who he's communicating is a community of people that God is forming for himself, which is no new thing. I mean, th- this was the idea before sin even entered the world, right? Um, that, that God was calling people to reflect his glory and to show his glory into all of the world. 
with Israel. He called out to Israel, a people, not because they were more in number or mightier than all the other nations, but because I have set my love on you and because I am gracious and I am merciful, but ultimately why? Not for their own good, but for the glory of God and the good of those around them. And then Jesus is showing us here um, that, that he is calling his church, this, this people that we are to be these things. And so it is the Christian community. It is the Christian community of kingdom citizens that are the means through which God will reach the world and accomplish his mission. Did you hear that? Church, did you hear that? It is through God's covenant people, through the church, that he will reach the ends of the earth and accomplish his mission through. God could, could, could just zap everybody with the knowledge of God, couldn't he? He could just, just reveal it to everyone in all of the same way. And yet what he has done is he has chosen through a people to, to accomplish his mission. Now, does this mean, what, what it doesn't mean is that these things aren't true of you whenever you are not in proximity with the people of God. So at the ball fields, on the road, um, some of you I just got really personal with. <laughs> the ball fields are on the road and when you're by yourself, does this mean that you can act however you please? And it's only when you're among the people of God, wherever that may be. Certainly not, <laughs> certainly not. But in each of these places, in each of those spaces where you dwell and live and move and play and all of those things, you wear a badge. You wear a badge to the world that says, I am connected to God and I am connected to the people of God. And to his people and to both of those, I am a representative and I am accountable. I'm accountable to God and to the people of God. This draws my mind to what Peter writes to the church. And so Jesus saying this here to his disciples, but guess what? The disciples carried this mission on to the church. Jesus gave it to them and they carried it on to us. And so in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 is where this brings my attention. If you, if you want to, you can go there with me. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, this is what Peter says to the people of God living in a, by the way, living in a foreign land. Literally, it opens up, they are exiles. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, not persons, but a, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This corporate collective language indicates that God works through a people to accomplish his purpose in the world. And so working through a distinct kind of people is God's plan A. Remember, it's like, well, no, that sin happened. And then, no, it was before sin when God called out Adam and Eve and said, do this. Go, go declare my glory. Fill the earth. So that's the first word of the verse. Let's go to the second word. Jesus says, you are, y'all are which leads to our second observation about the way that this opens. The next thing that is often easy to misunderstand is not only that Jesus is talking to singular people living on their own, unaccountable to anybody or anything, but, but Jesus saying, you are, not you might, not you ought, 
not even you have the opportunity to be if you feel like, but emphatically and authoritatively, you are. This is who you are. And so again, we're at a bit of a disadvantage because we're not Greek speakers, but the way that Jesus would have said this and the way it is written would not have left any question in the minds of the original hearers. So followers of Jesus, this is what he's saying, that if the world has any light, if the world is going to, to have salt in it in any way, and if it's going to have any light, and if, and if um, there is any way in which God has chosen to fill this dark, with, dark, dark world with, it's us. That's what he's saying. It's so like the, the good things that, that people do charitably and all those things are, are really great, but Jesus isn't speaking that to them. Jesus is speaking to us, his disciples, people who would follow him, submit to him, obey him, as the authority that if this world will be filled with light and good for the glory of God, it is you. And so the word that Jesus uses here, this is really interesting. The word that Jesus uses here with you are is not imperative. It's not even a command. He's not even telling you to go do this. Um, it's not suggestive. It's, it's this really part, interesting part of speech called an indicative, that this is this is by nature, without choice, if you're a child of God, without choice, who you are. No argument, case closed. Jesus is saying, this is who you are. Again, if the world's going to have salt and light, it will be you. And so the question, and the thing that we have to understand, the question that we're faced with today is not, are we salt or are we light? The question is, how salty is our salt and how bright is our light? That's the question. That's what you need to ask yourself right now. In fact, like, I'm gonna be quiet for a second and for 10 seconds, ask yourself that question. How salty is my salt and how bright is my light? So the rest of this text, now that we have those two words not out of the way, but we've understood those and we've, we've studied that, the rest of this text is going to then give some ways in which we are to fulfill this identity as salt and light bearers. But these two things that we have talked about are important things that we must be firm on in our understanding in order to fully understand this text. And so these two very important things have been established and Jesus now follows it with these two metaphors that have the same implications for how we are to see our place in this world. They're, they're pretty much the same thing, salt and light. Now, now if, you, if you like tore those things apart, which we're not going to, we're not gonna talk about all the ways that, that this world would have understood salt, which go study that on your own sometime. We just don't have time. And, and understood what light meant to the, the hearers there. We would understand that these are very powerful examples. These are very powerful things that would have resonated very deeply with this crowd. And so we're not gonna spend a ton of time on that, but I do want to give us three ways that we ought to understand and apply what Jesus is teaching here, okay? So, so how are we to be salt and light? That's, that's, a, that's the next question that you should be asking. Okay, Jesus says, this is, what I, this is what we are. This is what I am. Not this is what I might be or could be or, or you know, dream big dreams for yourself. No, he's saying this is what you are. And so the question that we should be asking is, how are we salt and light in this world? And so from the text, um, let's read um, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, 
how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So let me tell you what these three things are gonna be, and then we'll talk about each one. As salt and light, we are to be in the world. Secondly, as salt and light, we are not to be of the world. And then thirdly, as salt and light, we are to be for the world, for God's glory. So we are to be in the world. That's, that's what we get from this text. So salt and light, specifically salt and specifically light, to be effective are to be in the thing that they are trying to enhance, right? Salt in a salt shaker is no good for your steak, is it? Salt, in order to be effective and to accomplish the purpose for which it has been made, must be in the thing in which you want it to make better, right? And so light is the same way. Light, in order for it to fill a room, must be in the room. And so it's important for us to see that as salt and light, we are to be in, we are to be active, and we are to be among the world. Some of you don't like that because you're like, really? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna get to the part you do like in just a little bit. By the way, if Jesus never steps on your toes, then you might not be following Jesus. Let Jesus step on our toes a little bit here. There's a, there's a far too easy and common mindset that, that, that we have, oftentimes I have, um, as believers living in a really complex and hostile world that we ought to withdraw or that we ought to flee or that we ought to build bunkers, right? You felt that, I've felt it. I'm like, I'm just gonna get my family and go to, go to Idaho or Wyoming and dig a hole and get in it. Um, I don't know why I said Wyoming or Idaho, but there's just this, there's, I, the people up there probably use Oklahoma as an example. So, um, there's just this idea that we ought to just completely withdraw and, 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 and completely flee and, and build bunkers and, and, and disassociate ourselves with, with everything. And so, again, I certainly understand at times the desire to do this. And if, and if Jesus and the whole Bible wasn't so explicit on the corporate familial nature of the people of God, it would really be easy to do this, wouldn't it? It would be easy to do this. But what's important to see is that salt and light never exist for themselves. They don't exist for themselves. Like nobody is going to a restaurant for the salt, right? Um, nobody walks into a place and is like, man, the light is just awesome in here, right? I mean, some people, you know, if you're, if you're kind of a techie guy, you're like, the lighting is, is actually really good. And so... Um, they don't exist for themselves. They exist for the good of something else. And so we're not gonna dig overly deep into this, but we need to understand that in order to fulfill the mission that God has put us on and fulfill the identity that we have in the kingdom of God, man, we must be in. So do you have relationships? And man, some of you have heard stories just even, even lately. Do you have relationships with, with neighbors? Are you engaging in a, in a healthy and beneficial way with, with, with lost people? Do you, are you associating in, at some level with someone who needs the light of Christ? Remember, if a person is going to see light in their world or salt, it's going to be through the people of God. And so withdrawing and, and, and pulling back is, is not 
really an option. Second thing is this, as salt and light, we are not to be of this world. Some of you are like, all right, now here's, here's what I like to hear. As salt and light, we are not to be of this world. So Jesus seems to indicate in this text um, that, so, so he says, it is no, um, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so Jesus seems to indicate in this text that it's possible to lose our saltiness, our light. Now, don't equate that with losing your salvation. That's not the conversation we're having this morning. He's talking about your effectiveness, your fruitfulness, your, your, your fruitfulness in the world, your saltiness, your light that you give. Jesus indicates that it's possible for you to become ineffective, for you to, to lose something that he has given you. So as, as positive as this text has always been and always come across to me and to many others, this text also may serve as a warning. It may serve as a warning for us. And so I grew up um, in, a, in a Baptist church where we did something every Wednesday night called sunbeams. Um, and I don't really know what that means, but I know that we talked a lot about light and we talked a lot about this passage in particular. We memorized it. It was the, it was the very first verse I ever memorized. You are the light of the world. That's all. We didn't memorize the rest of it. Uh, but our, our little minds, it's all we, could, all we could handle. Memorize, you are the light of the world. And we always held up our, our, our hand and then we would sing this little light of, you know, that whole thing. And so as positive and, and, and as upbeat as this verse has always come across, it serves to us as a warning, church, that you as the people of God are to dwell in this world, but not but not to be of this world, lest you lose what God has given to you in this world. We are a community of people. The church, followers of Jesus, are a community called to be in the world, but make no mistake, we are a community distinct from the world. You understand that, right? And so some of us wanna wanna take certain aspects of the world and say, I want nothing to do with that, yet, Behind closed doors and when it comes to personal sin, man, you sure do look a whole lot like that world that, you know, at least on the news gets you all riled up. So we don't, we don't want to associate ourselves with the, with the public big parts of the world. But man, when it comes to your purity, when it comes to your mind, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is going to talk about these things, your, your heart, anger, lust, forgiveness, it's like Jesus has laid the foundation for what it looks like to be salt and light. It looks like someone showing mercy and not retaliation. It looks like someone who mourns over their own sin. It looks like, it looks like people who are, are peacemakers, those who ultimately are persecuted for righteousness. Like if, if, you wanna, if you wanna feel the weight and the reality of being distinct from this world, just wait until you endure persecution. That's exactly what, what Jesus is, is talking about here. He's laid the foundation. So church family, we must lean into this reality. I'm not, I, I, the, the, lean into the reality that, that we are distinct from the world. And, and make sure you understand what I'm saying. Distinct doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as separated. And so we, we can be distinct, but not separate. Remember, we're to be in the world and, and this not being of the world is a distinction that we have in the world, but not a full-on separation from the world, that we would be in the world, that we would be bringing good 
to the things that God has placed us in. And so church family, lean into the reality of being distinct from this world. Like lean into it. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, bear down, hunker down, bunker down or whatever. I am saying get used to the reality of being otherworldly. Um, Jesus is going to speak on what this means um, at further length. And he is also going to speak on the implications. Um, l- let me just give, give us this just word of encouragement um, that, that in our distinctiveness, we don't lose our love for our neighbor. Um, remember, this is a distinction, not a separation from. Um, if your distinctiveness leads you to an unloving attitude towards your neighbor, it's probably not the thing that Jesus is talking about here. Because later, Jesus is going to say, all the things that I have said summed up in two commandments is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And there is not a single drip ounce, iota, jot, tittle, whatever you wanna say that is contradictory in what Jesus says. And so if Jesus later says, love God and love your neighbor, then what he is not saying here is find a way to to hunker down and to separate yourself from all those sinners out there. No, we are to to love our neighbor. And so maybe that's a a way for you to evaluate. How is my salt and light? How effective of that salt and light that God has told me that I am, how effective am I being at that? Well, one of the, the marks of that is, do you love those who, uh, those of whom you are at odds with. So that's an important thing. And so the moment we take, again, the moment we take our distinctiveness to the point where we are not loving and serving our neighbors is the moment we've lost our taste and we've hidden our light. The third thing is this, um, and we see it in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so as salt and light, we are to be for the world, for God's glory. Can I just say something this morning that maybe some of us need to hear? I needed to hear it when I was studying this. We are a hopeful people. We are, we are a, a hopeful people. Things look kind of dark right now, don't they? But if there be any hope or hopefulness in the world, I would hope that the church is the ones who are most hopeful that we have a, a God who, who is redeeming lost and broken things. Can I just tell you, this is, this is I don't, I don't, we're not gonna get into at what level, but just this general observation, this is not the first time that the world has been at odds with the church. Can I just tell you that? Like, it's, it's happened lots and lots of times. Most of those times, if not all, the church has flourished in those moments. And so this is, this is not the first time that we are experiencing what we are experiencing. Um, and so none of, nothing of what we are experiencing is going to thwart God's plan. It doesn't thwart our mission and our purpose. But at the end of the day, we can be a hope-filled people. We are a hopeful people and we are for the world. And so just to put it in kind of human terms, hey, we are, man, we are cheering for our world. <laughs> we are praying for our world to, to get better. It's okay to pray for the world to be a better place. Jesus shows us what a better world looks like. He shows what the kingdom of heaven is. A better world, he, he, he lays that out for us so we don't have to guess and hope and say, well, a better world is, you know, all my debt's paid. It's not any of that. That would be great for some of us. 
but we are cheering for our world. And so get used to answering this question and answering it accurately. Church, why do we exist? Why do we exist? We exist for the glory of God. That's what Jesus, how Jesus sums this up. You are salt and you are light so that there's a lot of things that may happen, but ultimately the ultimate ends is for the glory of God. That, that the world may see your good works and what? Glorify your father who is in heaven. So in the end of this text, Jesus gives this grand purpose behind our salt and light so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father that's in heaven. I love the way that John Piper helps us understand this essentially in saying that man's highest good, so your highest good. Remember we talked about in the Beatitudes, we're all seeking blessedness. We're all seeking the good life. But the highest good and the glory of God are synonymous. Man's highest good, so whatever's good, actually good, not what you think is good for yourself, but what the scriptures particularly reveal to us about what is good, that your good and God's glory are synonymous. And so we should actively seek the glory of God, actively, act, um, actively pursue that. And when we're there, we realize that, man, my highest good is up here with the glory of God. We pursue these two things together. Isn't that the way that Jesus wraps up this section of scripture? Isn't that the theme that we see from cover to cover in the scriptures? For what purpose are we salt and light? For God's great purpose and motivation behind all that he does, and that's his glory. That you would bring glory to your father who is in heaven. And so I just, I pray for us as a, as, as a church that this would be true of us, that we would seek this, that we would pursue this. We, we hardly even scratch the surface of what's here in this text. But we are to be those who are in the world, not of the world, but also for the world and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I mean, we thank you for your instruction on this, on this matter um, and this thing that, that fills so many of our minds. Um, Lord, we pray that, that we would be led uh, not by our, our flesh, not by our feelings, uh, but, but by your spirit in this way. Lord, that, that the things to which you are calling us, um, you have called us to so that you may receive glory and so that we may experience real, genuine, lasting satisfaction. And so, Lord, as we go about our week, would you just help us to be mindful of these things? Would you help us to see that um, what your word says about, um, says about salt and light um, and the way that those things fill the earth? Would you help us to understand that, the Lord, we are that vehicle. The people of God are that vehicle. And so, Lord, help us by your grace, not because of our own works or good deeds or anything like that. Help us to be faithful to this calling. Help us to be humble. Help us to, to, be, to be loving and gracious. Help us to stand firm. Help us to see the, the, the absolute necessity of, of living a life that is pure before you. Help us to be to be willing and receptive by the work of your spirit in our hearts and lives to, to confess of our sins, to repent of those things within us that, that, 
that do make us like the world, reveal to us those ways in which we've even grown self-righteous and saying, I'm not like the world in this way, but Lord, there's so many other areas behind the curtain where our lives look a whole lot like the world's. Help us to love the world. Help us to to love others the way that you have called us to. Um, no matter no matter the no matter the situation, just that we would that we would love. Um, help us to do this again by 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 your Spirit, um, by your power. And Lord, we will we will give you glory for this. Um, it will be our our goal to bring glory to your name um, in this world. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.